name is Phil. I'm the, the lead pastor here. For those I haven't met yet, I uh, just wanted to say hello, and we're so glad that, that all of you are here. We're glad that for everyone who's in the room, we're also glad for everyone who is joining us. We're back to uh, Facebook Live and YouTube. We took a break for the last five weeks because of God and film, and, and they would have probably not let us show those clips, so we, we were on uh, uh, Vimeo, I think, for the, last, for the last month, but we're back to, uh, back to YouTube. I just... Before I get into my sermon, I'm starting a new series today, um, you probably heard the news about some changes that the CDC announced about masks and things like that with so many with people getting vaccinated. So I want to just let you know, we'll send out some, some emails and other communication. This Sunday was the last Sunday that you will need to pre-register for a service, all right? So starting next week, you will not need to do that. You know, that's funny. At 9 o'clock, they clapped too, and I didn't expect that. And I was like, I guess we're all busy. We hate extra busy steps. But kids will continue to be registered. Uh, not high school-age kids, but fifth grade and under, because Marianne's... This has to do with space, right? So we're going to keep the, uh, the chairs spread out the way that we have them. We actually, you know, this is a big room, and we actually have some overflow rooms with the videos, the screens that we have now. So, so we're not really in danger of over uh, having too many people show up. So, so we, don't, we don't need to do that. Uh, as far as masks go, um, you know, uh, New Jersey still has a mask mandate, and Governor Murphy said that that's going to continue for the, at least the next few weeks. And so we, we're not a church that wants to, like, you know, like make a point, make a claim. As long as there's a mask mandate in New Jersey, we will continue to comply with our services and, and having masks and keeping them on. But we're monitoring it, and we'll just, we'll just kind of we'll see where we're at as, as we move into the summer. You know, it, it seems like, like we're taking some good steps, and so, so just encouraged about that. Um, all right, well, I am starting a new series today, and it is on the book of James. Uh, so we're going to be doing this kind of like verse by verse or kind of, you know, thought by thought walk through the book of James. And believe it or not, this is going to take us all the way to July. It feels weird to even say about something taking us to July. I mean, it's hard to believe that we're like six, seven weeks away from July. This time just keeps on flying faster and faster. You might have noticed my, my MO when it comes to my, my preaching calendar is I like to take the month of, of May and June to kind of do a deep dive into some Bible stuff. You know, we always, we always use a lot of Bible in all of my, all of my messages, but, but the last few years I've used uh, May and June to do my God and uh, uh, Heroes of Faith series, which has been an opportunity for, for us to get to understand a little bit more some of the important people in the Bible, kind of what can we learn from their life, uh, where do they fit in the wider story of God? So you can start to get an idea of like, you know, the Bible, it just kind of becomes more of a book that you can kind of understand and kind of, you know, where people kind of fit. And so I decided this year that I wanted to do this, this in-depth study in James. And I'm excited, I'm excited about doing it because what's fun about when you do that kind of verse-by-verse -verse study, you just kind of have to deal with what, what's in the text. And so we're just going to kind of go through and, uh, and talk about things that come up. Now, James is a wonderful book. Uh, it's actually called by some people the Proverbs of the New Testament. If you know Proverbs in the Old Testament, it's a lot of wisdom sayings. James has a lot of wisdom sayings. I mean, things like, you know, faith without works is dead. We'll talk about that. Uh, things like um, how we, we got to be hearers of the word and not just doers. There's this great section about the power of the tongue and taming the tongue. And, and there's just, there's so much, there's so much that's here. Now, James was written 
by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, it can be a little confusing in the New Testament because there's a lot of James. There's actually more James. There's a lot of Marys, but there's also a lot of James, Jameses. I don't know how to pluralize James. Um, and, uh, and so there's two apostles, two disciples that are, that are James. You have James, the brother of John, and James, the lesser. I like the way the chosen deals with that. It's big James and little James because James, the lesser, seemed kind of mean. You know, it's like, you're, not, you're like the least important James. I think it, maybe, maybe he was just short, and that's why he was called James, the lesser. But then you have James, the half-brother of Jesus. And so, so Jesus' mother was Mary, and, and father was God. Uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but Joseph and Mary went on to have other children. We know that from the Gospels, and actually two books in the New Testament were written by the half-brothers of Jesus, James, which we're getting into now, and Jude, which is a, a short little book that's towards the end of the New Testament. But what's interesting about James, he, he actually ended up becoming like the, the lead pastor of the Jerusalem church. It uh, became very important, very prominent in, in early Christianity. Uh, and, uh, and during the Gospels, though, he wasn't buying what his big brother was selling. I mean, that's really clear. Like when you read, there was a time when, where the brothers of Jesus came and they were like, Jesus, come with us. You're, you kind of lost your mind. You know, I don't know who you think you are. You're our big brother. We grew up with you. What are you talking about? And so like what happened to change James' perspective? So, so actually, Paul gives us a little bit of an insight into what I think happened. It was probably a pretty dramatic moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, he's talking about all the people that Jesus appeared to. And it says, after that, he was seen by James and all the apostles. Now, that's James, the half-brother that he's talking about. So just imagine what that was like. And he showed up and to James even before he showed up to the apostles. So, you know, apparently Jesus, you know, had this younger brother who was, like, critical of him and did, wasn't buying what he was selling. And then after he rose from the dead, he's like, hey, little brother, what's up, <laughs> you know? And it, and it completely changed James's life and the trajectory of his life. And actually, I think it's actually a pretty powerful uh, kind of testament to the, to the reality of Jesus's resurrection. Because you just got to ask yourself, what would it take for you to believe that your big brother was the son of God? Right? Your big brother that you grew up, it would take something big like this, like him rising, rising from the dead. All right, so today we're going to look through a pretty big chunk of James chapter 1. Uh, this, this series is going gonna, gonna to be a little more teachy than preachy, I would say, which is one of the reasons I kind of like to mix it up. So I have a pretty extensive fill-in-the-blank notes uh, section for you on the app, so I would encourage you to open that up, because I've got some lists, got some things that I think is going to help us, uh, you know, as we go through the different Bible verses. I'm not going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. We're going to kind of go through it while we go, but you'll see that it's like we just go through each verse, and that kind of leads us to our next point. And so I want to talk about trials and temptations. That's what James starts talking about. So verse 1 and 2, it says, James a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So he says, other translations say, consider it pure joy. So how many of you, like when you're dealing with a trial, are like, yay, there's a trial. I'm so happy. I'm so joyful that there's a trial right now. I mean, who does that? That's kind of crazy. But what we need to understand is there's a difference between trials and temptations. Trials are things that we go through that can teach us something. Trials are things that actually, I think, God will often lead us into trials. And we go through these trials to learn something. God wants to teach us. God wants to show us something. Temptations are different. Tempta temptations are when we are enticed 
to do something sim- to do something sinful. And so all of us are tempted, and all of us deal with trials. How many of you right now would say, I'm going through a trial right now? Hey, put your hand up if you're going through a trial. I'm going through a trial. I'm going through a difficult circumstance right now. How many of you would say, my trial is sitting next to me in church right now? No, 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 don't put your hand down. I don't want to cause any problems. I don't want to cause any, any fights. But I think God will often be the one who will lead us into to, to trials. We'll actually sometimes not just allow trials. I think sometimes he orchestrates them. It says this in, in Proverbs 17, verse 3. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Hey, let me just say, I'm sorry, i got to take a time out. Now that it's warmer, the air conditioner just kicked on. Samuel, if somebody doesn't turn that air conditioner off, the camera's going to be shaking for, uh, for the live stream. So, see, I'm, I'm multitasking right here in front of you, kind of, kind of doing it all. So if somebody, yeah, turn off, and plus it's loud. All right. Proverbs 17.3, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. See, what that says, like, why would God bring trials into our life? Well, if you want to purify gold and silver, what they do is they put it in the refining fire, they turn up the heat, and the impurities rise to the surface, and then they're skimmed off of the top, and that makes the gold pure. It makes the silver purified, and God does the same thing with our lives. And so how do we deal with trials? I want to give us some helpful things, three things, because, you know, it was the same thing at 9 o'clock, and I'm sure, you know, people raise hands if they're out there on Facebook or YouTube. Like, lots of us are going through trials. Probably every one of us, in one way or the other, is going through a trial. How do we get through it? The first step is this. You need to recognize what's really going on. Recognize what's really going on. What happens a lot of times when trials come into our life, we get fixated on the details of the trial. Right? We get fixated on the financial part of the trial, the financial crisis, or maybe there's some hard things that are showing up in your marriage, or maybe you've got the worst boss in the world and he's just making life difficult for you. And, and so the, the details matter, but we've got to look beyond the details. We can't just focus on the specifics. Uh, James 1, 2-3, read it again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, right? The gold, heated up. There's going to be perseverance. The impurities are going to rise to the top. They're going to be skimmed off. And so think about when you first came to Christ, right? Maybe when you first gave your life to Jesus and it was like you're born again and life's totally different and like the sky is bluer and food tastes better and you're like everything's great. And then you hit your first trial and you're like, wait, what's this? I thought I was just going to be skipping through the daisies and everything was going to be good because now Jesus is in my life. And so you probably freaked out when you hit that first trial, right? You probably were like, God, you don't love me and where are you? And I'm going to live in the gutter and I'm going to be eating cat food and this is terrible. But then what happened, right? God got you through the trial. And so then you had another trial come, right? Because trials, you know, they happen. Like they're just part of life. So another trial came and you freaked out, but maybe you freaked out a little bit less. And then a third trial came, and you freaked out a little bit less because you're beginning to realize, oh, okay, God really isn't going to leave me. God is going to get me through. And so now you've developed perseverance. You have this, like, God's making you tougher, right? Listen, you know people, you know people in your life that something happens and they fall apart, right? God wants to toughen us up. And so the way that we grow, the way that we get this perseverance is is. God allows these trials and he gets us through. And so the second thing that we need to do is we need to cooperate with God's growth process. 
Verses 4 to 5 in James 1. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be, and it will be given to him. And so, so I know that many of you pray on a regular basis for God to use you. I mean, we got a lot of people in this church who just, they want to be used by God, right? You want to come into the purposes that God has for you. You want to, to bear more fruit for God. You want your life to make a difference. You want more of God's anointing, more of his, more of his power in your life, and you pray for it. And you know what? Some of the trials that you're experiencing might be a direct answer to that prayer. Because the reality is, this is, this is how it works. Right? This is how we grow. There's a price to be paid. Growth in every way, in every part of life. It doesn't come easy. Right? There's a process. And the Bible is really clear about that. Now, I've noticed that, you know, that some preachers just like to talk about the happy parts of the Bible. You know, how much God loves you and that he's for you. And there's nothing about trials, nothing about temptations. Just what's good. Now, I love talking about the happy parts of the Bible. I, I love talking about how much God loves you and that you're made on purpose for a purpose and that, you know, God is crazy about you and, and all the things because I know that you're going to hit trials in your life where it's going to feel like God isn't paying attention. And you're going to need to know that God loves you and that he's for you. And the Bible is so clear about this. A couple other verses. Romans 5, 3 to 4, it says, We glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. I want hope to be your superpower, that you can be connected and tied into hope, that you have the living hope. Hope comes going through trials, right? When God gets you through a trial, it gives you more hope because you realize, man, if God is for me, who can be against me? I got hope. Doesn't matter. Come what may, God's never going to leave me. I'm good. It leads to hope. It says this in 1 Peter 1, 6, 7, and in all this you greatly rejoice. Now, Peter is writing to Christians who are going through it. I mean, they're going through such a hard time. But he says, you rejoice, though even though you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Why does God bring us through trials? Because he wants to give you a genuine faith. And the genuine faith that he wants to build in your life is more precious than gold. Like it is a, it is a greater possession than all the gold in the world. Because if you have this genuine faith and you know that no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what challenges come, no matter what happens, that God is with you and he's going to make a way and he's going to bring good out of every single situation, that is the most valuable thing that you can have in life. And so God wants to build that in you. And so he'll, he'll allow trials to come. The last thing when it comes to trials, then we'll shift gear and talk about temptations. Ask for God's help. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Now this is a very famous verse. You probably have quoted this verse. Or you've heard this verse. If you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. It's interesting about the context though. Like God will give you wisdom when you have decisions, when you're dealing with stuff. But this is specifically talking about trials. Ask God to give you wisdom when you're facing a trial. That God would give us wisdom is 
the ability to apply what you already know. And so if you're going through a trial, those of you who raised your hand, and even those of you who didn't, because you probably are, ask God a really good prayer to pray, is, is to say, God, show me what you want me to learn through this. God, show me what you're doing in my life right now. What is it you're trying to teach me? What do I need to learn? Because God promises that he's going to answer that prayer. God says, I'm, and, and here's the thing, the more we cooperate with God and ask for him help, we might shorten the trial. Like once we learn what we need to learn, maybe we can go on, you know? So there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a personal reason to do that. But God says, you know what? I'm allowing you to go through this because I want you to trust me in an even deeper way. I'm allowing you to go through this. I put some, maybe some of these difficult people in your life because I really want to learn. I want to teach you how to love difficult people. I'm allowing you to go through this really hard financial season or whatever it is because I want to stretch your faith. I want you to have that genuine faith. And so just to recap, that with you, as we go through trials, recognize what's really going on, cooperate with God's growth process, and then ask for his help. Because he promises to help you. Now let's talk about temptations for a moment. Now James, he shifts gears. And he talks about temptations. Temptations are different from, tr from trials. And as we go through it, I'll, I'll kind of explain that. Uh, James 1.13, James says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So, so God may bring trials, but he never brings temptations. A temptation is when we're being enticed, when we're being tempted to, do, to commit a sin, to do something that God doesn't want us to do. Now, the best way for us to think about temptation is to think about a fishing lure, right? How do you catch a fish, right? You dangle the lure in front of the fish, and, and the lure is bright, and the lure is shiny, and the fish thinks like, ooh, this is going to be tasty, this is going to be really good. What the fish doesn't know is there's a hook that's like behind the lure, so when the fish bites on it, the fish is going to, you know, is going to be caught. The, the hook's going to be in the fish's mouth. Satan does the same thing with us with temptations. He will dangle something in front of you. And even though you know, you know, and you say, oh, well, you know, the Bible says don't do this. Jesus said not to do this. This isn't, this isn't the way I should go. But man, this looks really good. This looks really tasty. This is really shiny. This will bring me happiness. And so what ends up happening is you take the bite, not realizing that the hook is there, and then all of a sudden, you know, Satan's goal, like Jesus made it really clear what Satan's, like, mission statement is. He came to rob, kill, and destroy. And so we talked a couple of weeks ago about spiritual warfare. The struggle is real. The battle is real. And so we need to understand that temptations are Satan's way to try to lead us, lead us away from God. And we also need to know, too, that, that the lure that Satan uses for you is a custom lure. Because the reality is, listen, you know, if there's 100 lures, probably 90 of them aren't going to be something that I'm going to want to bite. But Satan knows the lures that are kind of perfect for me, the things that I'm going to want to do. And so you need to understand that, that our lures are different, our temptations are different, they're custom made, and that's one of the reasons you shouldn't judge, because a lot of times we'll say like, well, I don't know how they could do that. Well, you know what? They're dealing with their temptation. How do you do the things that you do, right? And so, and so we need to understand the source of these temptations. Second, we need to understand the process of temptation. 
the process of temptation, verses 14 and 15. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full-blown, it gives birth to death. Now let me kind of bring it down for a minute here. Let me get real with you guys, all right? I'm going to break down the five stages of temptation because you need to know. You need to know. You need to understand how this works because I have seen too many people taken out. I have seen too many people in this church. I have seen too many pastor friends of mine. Too many, you know, we've all seen it. People who, you know, they end up going down the broad road that leads to destruction. Too many people who don't understand the process of temptation, don't understand the slippery slope of what they're getting in for, and then all of a sudden, they're just like a trophy that's hanging on Satan's wall. And I've had too many conversations with people where, and you know, where it's like after the damage is done, how do we pick up, how do we build? Well, you know what? Let's, let's have a proactive conversation. That you would understand that you have an enemy, like temptations are real. Satan comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And so we need to know the process of temptation. And so there's five stages. that I'm not, I'm not making anything up. You'll see they're all in this verse that James just gave us. The first is temptation. All right? The lure. It's there. Now, now what you need to know is that temptation is not a sin. I've known people who feel guilty and who feel bad because they're tempted. In some way, like we think that, well, if I was really spiritual, I wouldn't be tempted. That's not true. Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, in every way. Actually, a lot of temptations could be a sign of like spiritual growth and maturity. It could mean that Satan is like aware that you're causing problems and that you're like getting closer to God and God's using you. And he's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up my game. I'm going to give some more temptations here, right? And so, so the temptation, it's just, it's just something that comes our way. It's going to happen. We're all tempted. The second stage is fantasy. It's fantasy. You start imagining. Right, you have that temptation, there's that lure. And you start to think, man, I want to do that. I'm not going to do that. That would mess up my life. I'm not going to do that. But what would it be like to do it? What would it be like to smoke it, to taste it, to eat it, to sleep with him, to sleep with her, to, to steal it? Whatever it is, whatever that temptation is, we start to fantasize. And then what happens as we fantasize, as we dwell on it, we begin to move towards it. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 6, 22 to 23, the eye is a lamp of your body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. That has to do with what you focus on. And so when that enticement comes, if you focus on it and you start fantasizing, maybe what you're doing is like while you, before you drift off to sleep, you're just kind of like playing it in your mind and like, man, what would that, what would that be like? You know what? You're focusing on something dark, and if you're doing that, then you're, it's going to bring darkness into your body, and it's going to move you towards that sin. Now, listen, the Internet, especially those, you know, is allowing us now to connect with people who are out there in, you know, Internet land, and uh, imagine where we would be this past, you know, how difficult this past year would have been if it wasn't for the Internet. Right? I mean, imagine what work would have been like and what church would have been like and, and trying to stay connected with family while everybody's locked down. So the internet brings a lot of great gifts, but one thing the internet does for sure is it really stokes our fantasy life. 
It makes it really easy for us to put images and put things and put, you know, that, that can like lead us, that can entice us, that can draw our focus. And so that's the third stage of temptation. The fourth stage is this. We begin, or rather the, the third stage, we begin moving towards sin. We begin moving towards it. See, like whatever we think about, we start moving towards it. So you start fantasizing, you're going to start moving towards it. Right? I always say, a phrase that I've said for years is that sin will make you stupid. Because there are things that you, like, like you would say, you know, and I've talked to people, I've talked to too many people who said, I don't understand what I did. I always said I would never cheat on my wife, and I don't know why I did it, I don't know what happened. Well, you know what? You start fantasizing, you start playing with it, it'll make you stupid. It'll make you do things that you never thought that you would do. That's why the Bible has one word when it comes to sin. One word when it comes, when the lure is in front of you, when the temptation has happened, there's one word that's repeated, that's repeated a number of times, and it's the word flee. Like, don't play with it. Don't play games with it. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. It says in 1 Timothy 2.22, flee from the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And some of you right now, like I know that I'm talking to some people right now who are taking dangerous steps towards sin. I just know, I just know from experience. I just know from, you know, the people here in the room and the people that are out there, I believe that there's probably more than one person. Like, you know, like, like you're right now, you're sitting like, who told the pastor what's going on? Who, who told them what's happening? Nobody told me anything. But what's going on is that God brought you here this morning. God has you watching this message because I am a red light on your dashboard. And what God is saying is you need to turn around. You are, you are dealing with something that could blow up your life. And again, I've had too many friends, too many people that I care for blow up their life. And if you're taking steps towards something that you know is that lure, is that, is that temptation, turn around, flee, run, stop it, end it, confess it. Turn around because it always leads to a place you don't want to go. The fourth step, the fourth stage is the act of sin. You take the bite. Maybe you repeatedly take the bite. And let me just say, maybe to those of you who are in this place, where you've given in to temptation, maybe you've given in multiple times, I want to encourage you, because it says this in Proverbs 24, 16. It says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. So if you have taken the bite, I want to encourage you, get up. The righteous fall seven times, but they get back up again, right? Our God is the God of the second chance. He's the God of the third chance. He's the God of the seventh chance. He's the God of the 99th chance. And Satan's goal in temptation and leading us away is he wants to disconnect us from God. And Satan is the accuser. And, I, and what happens is when you mess up and you know you messed up and you go and you try to worship, Right? You try to connect with God, and you're raising your hands, and then the accuser comes and says, you hypocrite, what are you doing? You have no right to worship. You, you shouldn't even be here. Or you try to read your Bible, or you try to pray, or you try to serve. The, the accuser will come because the last thing he wants is for you, as from that fallen place, to connect with God. What you need to know is God is Jesus Christ is your advocate. 
You have a high priest who sympathizes with you. If right now you're in that place where you've taken the bite, where you've taken that, you know, and you've enticed, maybe you've blown up your life, I want you to know that God is for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And right now, our high priest Jesus is having a conversation with, the, with our heavenly father about you. And he's saying, Dad, we need to help this one. This one fell down. This one is, like, they think they're down for the count. And, and it's a, boy, I remember this temptation, Father. It was a hard, this was a hard one. And they're, they're down. We've got to help them get back up again. We've got to help them. They need our help. See, that is God's heart for you. That is Jesus' heart for you. Jesus is for you. There is no condemnation. And if you've messed up and the voice of the accuser is telling you that it's hopeless and you're a hypocrite and this, that, and the other thing, you need to stand on the word of God and you need to declare that God is for me. You can't be against me. There is no condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. We can come to the throne of grace, the Bible says, with confidence. Because of our great high priest. And then there's a, there's a final stage that James, that James talks about here. The final stage is death. I mean, just really clear, it's death. I mean, it says sin, when it's full-blown, it gives birth to death. And sometimes, like, people actually die. I know, you know, I've talked to many people who are in recovery through the years. And I've had, you know, some of you just say, like, yeah, you know what, man? I'm like that cat with nine lives. If I go out again, if I pick up again, I think that's going to be it for me. I, I don't know if I got any more chances. Sometimes it actually results in death. But it results in, you know, relational death or spiritual death or emotional death or financial death. And James says, don't go there. Don't go there. It says this in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that appears to be right. And our culture right now, it's like we've thrown out all the, you know, all the stops. Like, oh, don't deny yourself. Oh, it's all good. Oh, there's really sin is an antiquated concept. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And so we need to know that reality. We know, like, we know where this road ends. We know where this road goes. And so one of the things that I'll do, and I, you know, I'm sorry if this is heavy right now, but I just felt like, you know, again, when you're going through a book, you've got to deal with what's there. And so we're just dealing with what's there. And I, and I, but I do think that, that all of us need to hear this, and I think there's some people who really specifically need to hear this. One of the things that I will do from time to time is I will, I will imagine, what would happen if I went down that road? If I messed up in that way, if I left the road that leads to life and I went the, the, the road that's broad that, that leads to destruction, as Jesus talked about. And I think about the effect that it would have. Let me just keep it, let's it real for a minute. I think about my wife. You know what, Norm and I are, we're going to be, I just say this all the time because the number is, just seems unbelievable. We're going to be celebrating 30 years of marriage in June. And other than Jesus, Norma is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think at 100%, and I think, like, if I went down that road, what would happen to her? What would that do to my 30-year marriage? What my kids? They look my kids in the eye. I got to, you know, what, what's that going to do to my relationship with my kids? What about you guys? You know, I mean, what, I mean listen, we all, listen, we see the, the things in the paper about the pastor. This pastor fell, that pastor fell, this happened, the other, you know, we see that. I don't want to just become another one of those pastors. I don't want people to say, well, that's it. I'm done with church. I'm done with church because they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. I'm never going back again. You know, we need to, we need to realize, like, where this goes, where it ends up. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And then finally, 
The last thing, learn how to overcome temptation. So as we're continuing to just walk through this first chapter of James, verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Now here's another verse that we're familiar with, you know, Father of lights, every good and perfect gift. We, we sing songs about that. But the context of this verse has to do with temptation. And so what this is saying is that when you're tempted, there are good gifts that God has for you that he wants to give you so that you can say no to temptation. It says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I remember when I was a 17-year-old kid and I first came to faith, and I had a lot of bad habits, I memorized this verse. And I would say this verse like a lot, like every day, multiple times. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So there are two things that this promises. One is that God is not going to tempt you beyond what you can bear. Like no matter what has happened in your upbringing, no matter what your family life was, none of it is an excuse. God says that he's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And also, there's always going to be an escape hatch. God is always going to provide a way of escape. So what can we do? A couple things really quick just to, just to kind of end this here. First of all, avoid harmful influences. Don't put yourself, like listen, if you, like your lure, right? It is a personally crafted, it is a customized lure. Don't put yourself in places where it's hard to say no. Like, have wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. If you struggle with alcohol, don't go to a bar and order a drink and say, I'm going to sit here with this drink in my hand to show how strong I am. Don't do that. If you have friends in your life who always make you do things that you don't want to do, find some different friends, right? Tell your friends that you're busy, that you're taking a break, that whatever, but don't put yourself in harmful influences. Second, I will, I'll, just, I'll just say this. We talked about it a few weeks ago. <coughs> know and stand on the word of God. So when that temptation comes and you feel like, I'm just going to give in, I can't do it. No, no temptation is overtaking you except which is common to man, and God is faithful. He's going to provide a way out. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago, we talked about spiritual warfare. When Jesus was tempted, Every, the way that he resisted temptation was quoting scripture. The third thing is this, and this is so important, people, develop healthy relationships. Develop healthy relationships. What I mean by that is who can you go to with your secrets? Like, let's get real here for a minute, right? Whatever your lure is, whatever your temptation is, Satan operates in the dark. And if there's no one that you can talk to, no one that's trusted, that you can say, hey, here are my temptations. Here's how I messed up. Here's the lure that Satan puts in front of my face that could blow up my life. And I need you to know so that you can pray for me and so that we can be accountable. Now, I am not saying that you go to the mall and just broadcast to whoever's there like what your deep, dark, you know, secret sins are. But what I am saying is somebody's got to know your secrets. And if nobody knows your secrets, you're in trouble. And so one of the reasons that we, you know, we try to do so much more than just kind of come to church and listen to a sermon and do worship, you know, we have small groups, we have Team Vineyard, we've got all, because we, we want you to have people in your life that maybe, you know, not maybe your whole small group, but maybe there's one person there, and you say, like, this is a trustworthy person. This is someone who can know my secret. This is someone who can pray for me. You need that. And then the fourth and last thing. 
is that if we're going to resist temptation, if we're going to make it through trials, if we're going to resist temptations, we need to fall in love with Jesus. I love this, James 1.18, right? So, so James is talking about trials and talking about temptations, and he kind of ends this section before he moves on to something else. And he says, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. I love that James just puts that in there and says, listen, for all this talk about temptations and roads that lead to death, just remember, you're Jesus' favorite. You're his prized possession. Like the one who created everything. You are the one that he's like, like you're in his trophy case. And he's like, look at my son, look at my daughter. And you see, the more we nurture our relationship with Jesus, the more we love him. I think about this, guys, you guys know how it is, right? When you're thinking about your wife, and you're just aware how awesome your wife is, how patient your wife is, how much better your wife makes you guys, right? Can I get an amen on that? Like our wives like make us way better, right? I, I don't know. Every man that I know married up. Every single man that I know married above his, his, his weight class. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're thinking about that, when you're locked in on that, you don't notice other women as much, right? I mean, the same is true spiritually. That's why Jesus said, Jesus said in... Uh, uh, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And so don't just like fight sin. Don't just try to white knuckle it. Love Jesus, right? Love Jesus. Understand that you're his prized possession, that he loves you. And temptation, I think oftentimes is not just the test of our self-control, but it's a test of our relationship with Jesus. And so the closer we stay with Jesus, you know what? It just, it just changes our perspective. It just changes everything. And so just know, you are his prized possession. And God knows he's our great high priest. Listen, he's our high priest. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Even though you're struggling, even though you're tempted, even though maybe you fell, get back up again and know that Jesus, your high priest, he right now is interceding for you before the Father, and he's going to take you by the arms, and he's going to hold you up, and he's going to walk you. You're going to be able to start moving forward, because as long as there's breath, as long as, you know, if you're hearing my voice right now, I don't care what you've done, there is hope for you. There is life for you. There is a way forward. Satan comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give life and give it to the full. And so we need to say, God, I want the fullness of life that you have. Let's all stand for a moment. And I want to take, I want to take a moment. I want to pray. Those of you even watching on the live stream, let's, let's just try to, try to get in a quiet environment. Let's just, let's just pray. So come, Holy Spirit. God, I bless your presence here right now. More, Lord, come. If you're going through a trial right now, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. That's right. I'm not going to make you do anything with that. I'll just, raise, just like, you know, God knows. But just say, God, here I am. I'm going through a trial. And so, Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would pour out grace. Whatever the trial is, whatever the difficulty is, whatever the challenge is, God, I pray that you would pour out the wisdom. I pray that you'd pour out the grace. I pray that you'd pour out the perseverance. I pray that you'd give us the strength that we need to endure. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would learn 
what it is you want us to learn. God, I pray that we would have that hope. I pray that we would have that genuine faith, which is more valuable than gold. And so, God, in the mighty name of Jesus, I speak life, I speak strength, I speak grace to everyone who's going through a trial. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As you wait on the Lord right now, the Holy Spirit is renewing your strength. He's giving you the strength and the grace that you need to get through. Maybe God led you into this trial. He led you in, he'll lead you out. And so look to him right now for the grace and strength that you need. For those who are, who, who are in that process and you are moving towards temptation, you know that you're fantasizing. You know that you're taking steps. You know that this whole message has been a red light on your dashboard saying, hey, there's something you need to pay attention to. I want to pray for you that God would give you clarity of mind right now. Because listen, when we get caught up in that process of temptation, it's kind of like temporary insanity. And I just pray right now in Jesus' name that, that wherever we think, wherever we're believing a lie, I pray that we'd believe the truth. Wherever we're not trusting God, I pray that our faith would be increased. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring clarity. And I pray that you would give grace to repent. Grace to to turn around. And for anyone here right now who has eaten and maybe even feel that you brought some of that death into your life, I want to tell you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That your Heavenly Father loves you. There's nothing you can do that'll make Him love you any less. There's nothing you can do that'll make Him love you any more. And Jesus, your advocate, your high priest, he is for you. He is for you. And he is saying, Father, let's help this one. Send the Holy Spirit. Fill them with strength so they can get back up. So they can have their eyes on me and realize that all of their sins have been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. More, Lord, I bless your presence. Come, Jesus. Come, Lord. Do what only you can do. And if you're, listen, if you're here right now and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I just want, I have really good news for you. Jesus loves you. He loves you and he died for you. And he came so that you could have life and have it to the full. He came to give you strength so you can get through whatever trials and difficulties come your way. He came so that you can have hope no matter what's going on. And he came so that you can be set free from the bondages and addiction that you know are dragging you down because whom the Son is set free is really free. And so you can have a personal relationship with Jesus where he will come and live inside of your heart and he will start changing you from the inside. He died on the cross, but then he rose from the dead, and he's present, he's alive, he's here right now, and he's knocking on the door of some of your hearts, and he wants you to open up the door and let him in, and once you do that, he'll change everything. And so if you're ready to open the door and let him in, just keep your eyes closed, but pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm tired of my life. And I'm ready for your life. 
Please forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And change my life. Because from now on, I'm going to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. All right, the Lord is moving. The Lord is working. Those of you, I know, you know, if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand just so I can see. Everyone else has their eyes closed. Let me just see if you raised your, if you prayed that prayer. All right, I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. If you text follow to 201-584-7188, I'm going to, I personally will reach out to you this week and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? What's going on? How can I help? All right, uh, we're going we're gonna to end the service right now and we're going to uh, open up for a prayer ministry. And so we have people from the prayer team who would love to pray for you. They're, they're going to gather over here to my right. And so if you're going through a trial, get some prayer. If you're dealing with temptation, get some prayer. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, let somebody pray for you. We got, the, you know, whether you're, you know, with health issues, financial issues, whatever it is, somebody would love to pray for you. Even if you just want someone to pray that you'd be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, let somebody pray for you. Keep your mask on and we'll keep some distance, but uh, somebody would love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week and uh, I'll see you soon.